Psalm 100. Um, that's a difficult issue, is it not? Why do these things happen? Why does God allow them to happen? We'll dig into that, I hope. That's where I want to go if the Lord will let me. Psalm 100. This is a very familiar psalm, a very short psalm. There's some truth in here that may help us tonight. Help me anyway. Psalm 100. If you've got that and you're able, we'll stand together. We'll just read all five of those verses. Some of you can probably quote this psalm. Yeah. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. You can be seated. That psalm really could just stand without commentary. And we ought to just come pray over it and pray through it and ask God to help us with it. But being that it's my situation that I, that I preach, I will make some commentary. <laughs> this psalm concludes a series of psalms which began back in, in Psalm 91. And those psalms look ahead to the advent and coronation of the coming King of Kings, the Messiah. And this particular psalm looks forward to a time when the Messiah will reign over his earthly kingdom. It looks ahead to a time when all the world will be filled with righteousness and people everywhere will exalt the name of God. So it envisions a time when the praises of God will fill the mouths of all people and the earth will be a place where God is magnified by all who live here. Would that it were that way today. But as you know, as well as I do, it's not. But while this psalm looks ahead to a future time, there is application for us now. The psalm is a call to thanksgiving, to praise, and to worship of God Almighty. Now, the title of this psalm, if you notice there, just before verse 1, it reads a psalm of praise. The word translated praise there is an interesting word because it really has the idea of a psalm of shouting. What this is, this is a plea from the psalmist for his readers to look to the Lord and for them having looked to God to then exalt his name for the God they know him to be. Our God is a praiseworthy God. And this psalm reminds us of his glory and of our duty to exalt the name of God. And as we enter into this new year, this is a good time, I think, to reflect on who God is. It's also a time for us to reflect on our personal relationships with Him. So I want to take some time tonight, just walk through this psalm, and talk to you about a psalm of praise. And I want to show you the ways we can come to know God better, and how you and I are to give Him the praise He is due. Three simple thoughts tonight. Notice the first one with me, verses 1 and 2. 
The Bible tells us there how we are to approach him. It says again, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. So right out of the gate, the psalmist issues a call for all people, all ye lands, to praise God and to magnify him. And he teaches us how then we are to enter into the presence of God. And I will say this as an aside, nothing really brings us into the presence of God any quicker than simply praising His name and bringing glory unto Him. As God wrote through David in Psalm 22, verse number 3, God inhabits the praises of His people. So let's talk about what the psalmist says here about how God's people are to approach Him. In verse 1 he said, we are to make a joyful noise. Now we play with that phrase sometimes and we often refer to our bad singing as making a joyful noise, you know. If somebody really bombs it on a song, we'll say, well, they were just making a joyful noise. That is not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about somebody singing poorly or somebody singing off key. In fact, the phrase literally means to shout or to pierce the ear. It's a loud cry, a ringing cry that's just un, uh, unmistakable, unavoidable. It is not to be ignored. And when we declare our praises for God, it really does glorify Him. It brings us into His presence. And one way we are to do that is by making this joyful noise. We are to lift our voices unto Him and give Him glory and give Him honor and give Him praise. And I would pray for all of us tonight that God would give us a shout in our souls that will find expression on our lips. As the psalmist told Israel in Psalm 47, 1, O clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. By the way, same word. That's talking about noise and shout. It's the same word in the Hebrew. We are to lift that ringing cry up to God. Now, what I understand, and I get this every time, not everybody's geared that way, right? Not everybody is an extrovert. Not everybody is that kind of person who just gives vocal and visible praise to God. But even if you can't do that externally, there should be a piercing cry rising out of your soul up to Him as you rejoice in the Lord. God will accept it either way it comes, I promise you that. If you shout in public, He'll accept that. And if you shout in private, He'll accept that. And if you shout in your soul, He will accept that because it all honors Him. So one way we are to approach Him is with this idea of loud ringing praise coming forth from our souls and our mouths to Him. And then he says in verse number 2, he says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Talking about our obedient service unto God. The little word there, gladness, refers to mirth or joy. That is, we're not to look upon our service to God as a drudgery. But we're to look upon our service to God as a cause for rejoicing. Here's the issue. We are to view every opportunity to serve God as a privilege afforded to those who have been redeemed by the grace of God and brought into a relationship with Him. When you stop and think about it, who are we that God would allow us to do anything for Him? 
What right really do we have to do anything for God aside from His grace in saving us and then Him giving us the gracious opportunity to bring glory and honor to His name? I count it a privilege to get to preach the Word of God. I don't understand to this day why God called me to do this, but He did, and so I do it because it is a privilege. Now, I should not look at it as a drudgery. I should not be saying to myself, well, Sunday's coming, I better get in there and study because i got to get up and i got to preach again, and it's just so hard and so wearing and so taxing. I should not look at coming to church like that. I shouldn't get up on Sunday morning and say, man, it's Sunday again. I wish I could sleep in today, but i got to get up and i got to go to church and i got to listen to the singing and i got to endure the preaching and i just got to do that before I can get home and take my nap. That's how you see it as a drudgery. I don't want to be that way, right? When Sunday morning comes, I want to say, Hallelujah, it's Sunday. Get to go to the Lord's house today. Get to gather with God's people. Get to fellowship. Get to worship. And it is a privilege to do that. I think about Paul. You know, Paul endured a lot for the sake of Christ, did he not? I mean, he talked about how he was stoned, how he was beaten, how he was imprisoned, how he was shipwrecked, and all the things he endured for the name of the Lord. And yet Paul was able to say this later in his ministry. He said, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Paul did not view even... After all he had been through, he did not view his work for God as a drudgery, but he did it with joy, with gladness, with mirth in his heart. It made him happy to serve the Lord. Isn't that the way it ought to be for us? If you allow your church attendance, if you allow your work for God, if you allow whatever ministry it is that you are involved in, if you allow that to become a drudgery, then you will grow weary in well-doing because you cannot sustain that in human power for too long. You've got to have something working through you and out of you to enable you to serve the Lord with gladness. But let's be honest about it. Not many people today are serving the Lord with gladness, are they? When's the last time you saw anybody who was really excited about coming to church? Anybody? Most folk drag in late. Most folk come in and look like their hound dog just dying. But when's the last time you saw anybody show up and say, Hallelujah, man, it's good to be in church today. When's the last time you... Heard somebody praise God because they asked them to do something at church. Oh, my goodness. It's like pulling teeth to get folk to do things most of the time. When's the last time you saw somebody excited when it came time to pass the offering plate? It's time to give. Glory to God. I get to give to God today. Well, those types of rejoicing are rare, but they shouldn't be, should they? We should be excited about any opportunity we get to serve the Lord. I think about what David said, you know, in Psalm 122, verse 1. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And David was thrilled, I think, even though he was king, to perform the most menial of tasks down at the Lord's house. 
He said this in Psalm 84. He said, A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. David said, Just being near where God is is enough for me. I'm happy to be there and do whatever they need me to do. And by the way, obedient, joyful service is a form of worship unto God. If I do what I do out of a sense of a duty, that is, if I feel like, well, I've got to do it, you know, I've got to, they expect it of me, and so I've got to be in my place and do my thing, that is the wrong reason to do it. But if I do it from a heart that says, Jesus, I love you, I was going to hell when you came and got me, you saved me, and you've given me this privilege, and I'm going to do my best for your glory today, God will accept that as an offering of worship on my behalf. And he wants me to serve him with gladness. Then he also says in verse 2 that we are to come before his presence with singing. That word singing there refers to a joyful song or a shout of joy. And lifting our souls unto God through singing is a tremendous way to bless his name and to exalt it. I know this about you. I know that if you're saved by the grace of God, God gave you a song. Psalm 40 talks about it. The psalmist talked about how he was in that horrible, miry pit, and God lifted him out and put a new song in his heart. If you've ever been saved, you know what I'm talking about. But sometimes the song in our heart gets buried under all the cares and burdens and problems and situations and duties and all the junk of life. And that song has a hard time rising out of us and, and being, being given expression before God. But when God saved us, He gave us that song. And when we come into His presence, let's try to, before we do, let's try to get all that junk out of the way, try to clear everything off so the song God gave us can rise up through us and we can worship Him and we can praise Him and we can serve Him with gladness and joy, with mirth in our heart. That ought to be our goal. And by the way, when it comes time to sing, put everything you got into it. It doesn't matter if you sound like a, a cow with a sore throat. It doesn't matter how you sing. What matters is your heart. Just lift up your voice and magnify God and praise Him. And if somebody around you don't like it, they can find another seat. Right? Just sing, man, and just lift up your heart to God. My goodness, sing in the choir. Sing the congregationals. Just sing unto the Lord and let the song he put in you find expression in the words of the hymn writers. It will glorify God. So how are we to approach him? We are to praise him. We are to serve him with joy in our hearts. And we are to sing to him as we exalt him for who he is and what he's done for us. So that's how we're to approach him. But notice second, in verse number 3, I want you to see how we are to appreciate him. Now the psalmist writes there, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Now watch this. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Did you know every truth we learn about the Lord results in a new reason to adore Him and praise Him. Every time you learn something new about God, it just adds to the reasons you have for glorifying Him. But sadly, often we come to a place where we cease to be amazed by who God is. 
we cease to be overwhelmed by His glory, by His love, by His mercy, by His power, by His very person. But we need to be reminded that everything we do, everything we are, everything in our life stands or falls on our perception of who God is. When we see God as a glorious, transcendent, wonderful, amazing God, it will cause us to remain excited about Him. But if we come to the place where we just get humdrum about God, and it's just a same old, same old all the time, and we don't keep that excitement and that fervent love for Him burning in our souls, then it's easy for us to come to a place where we lose our joy and we lose our praise and we lose our shout and we lose our willingness to serve the Lord with gladness. But notice what he says in that verse. He says, first, know ye that the Lord, He is God. Now that phrase there reminds us of God's creative power. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in this world because God made it. And we are in this world because God placed us here. And we ought to thank God for His creation of the world and for bringing us into this world to enjoy what He has made. But beyond God's creative power, I think we also have in view here God's recreative power. Not only does He have the power to create, but God has the power to recreate. And when the Lord found us, we were marred by the stains of our sin. And He redeemed us. And when He did, He remade us in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul was able to say, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's why the Bible says when we come to Him, we are made new creatures in Him. Now God's power, as it's revealed around us in nature, is reason enough to praise Him and glorify Him forever. You agree with me on that? I mean, the Bible says the heavens declare the handiwork of God. I walked outside this morning about 3.15, stepped outside, looked up at the sky. A lot of those clouds were gone, and I saw the stars. Hadn't seen them in a long time. I said, hallelujah, they're still there. And my God just flung every one of them into place and put them there. He lets me look at them. That's the reason to praise God. But when I think on top of that, that God is able to take people like us, hellbound, lost sinners, transform us by His grace into the image of His Son, and then take us to heaven when we die, that is a reason to glorify Him. Ladies and gentlemen, I live in a world made by the hand of my Father. He made all of this, and He put me in the middle of it to enjoy it, but at the same time, I am a life He has touched directly and changed by His power. I'm not what I used to be by the good grace of God, and I say glory to His name. He should be praised for that. Then the psalmist says in verse 3 that we are His people. That means we're His personal possession. Now the writer here is talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about Israel as the people of God. He says, it is He that hath made us 
and not we ourselves. Israel did not make itself. God formed the nation of Israel from Abraham and his offspring. God made that nation. He chose them out, and they became his people. And so the psalmist says, we are his people. And by the way, that's a reason to praise him tonight too. If you're saved by the grace of God, it is because you, you are his people and you have a reason to glorify him. You were lost and sin. You were a slave to sin and Satan, but Jesus paid a price to redeem you and he bought you unto himself and he brought you out of that old life and set you right in the middle of something new. That means you are his people. You are a special people. You are a people God has called unto himself for his glory. In John 1, 12 through 13, the Bible says this. It says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we could say the same thing Israel could say in verse number 3. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. I'll be honest with you, you've heard me say it, you've heard others say it over the years. I was not looking for God the night God came looking for me. I was not expecting to have an encounter with the divine God that evening. I had other plans that night, but God showed up. And every one of us could say the same thing. God reached down in grace into the teeming mass of lost humanity, and he brought us unto himself. Why in the world would he do that? I have no answer for that other than he is sovereign God, and he set his love upon us, and because he loved us, he sent his son to die for us, and because he sent his son to die for us, he sent the Spirit after us to call us unto himself, and when we come to him, he saves everyone who does, but I praise him tonight for loving me and calling me unto salvation. We are his people, not by choice, our own choice, but because God in his sovereign grace brought us unto himself. And I praise him for that. Then he ends verse 3 by saying, And the sheep of his pasture. Not only are we his people, we're his flock. And because we are his flock, that means he is our shepherd. And because he is our shepherd, we are, we are under his watch care and we are under his oversight and he has promised to take care of us all the way home. And all the blessings of the Lord in the lives of his people are summed up in what David said in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. That covers it all. The Lord is our shepherd and he will take care of his sheep. And if you read Psalm 23, you'll see that through the glen that is the fair pasture where the sheep graze and where they drink from the steel pools, through the gorge where they fight the enemy and pass through the valley of the shadow of death, all the way into glory, when they step in the presence of God, the shepherd will lead us and feed us, protect us, and provide for us. We are a blessed people. The Lord has been good to you and me. And by the way, if all we had between the lids of our Bible was Psalm 100, verse number 3, that'd be enough to praise God for, for forever. 
Amen? Just the fact that He is our God, we are His people, we are the sheep of His pasture, that is a reason to give Him glory, honor, and joyful service. Don't you think? I think He's worthy of that. So He tells us how we are to approach Him. And He tells us how we are to appreciate Him. And then in verses 4 and 5, He tells us how we are to acknowledge Him. Watch this. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. If God is worthy of our praise, and I submit to you that He is, and if we are expected then to give Him the glory He is due, then you and I need to learn how to do that properly. And when we do, we're going to be held accountable for what we do with what we know. So let me talk to you a minute about how you and I are to praise the sovereign God. He says, we're to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. By the way, that is not an activity which can be done in private. You have to publicly go to worship. A lot of people will sit at home and say, well, me and God got our own thing worked out, and I can worship God as good here as I can there. No, you can't. That's not the way God designed it. If you want to do it God's way, you've got to be with God's people. What the psalmist is telling us in verse 4, is that there should be no shame attached to our worship of God. We should not be ashamed of Him. We should not be ashamed to be seen with His people. We should not be ashamed to be excited about Him. We should not be ashamed to engage in worship and thanksgiving no matter where we are. We should not be ashamed to glorify Him regardless of our surroundings. You look at the Hebrews and they were a boisterous people. We've already talked about Psalm, 140, uh, Psalm 7, 47, verse number 1, where he told them to clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God. That is not talking about applauding God, but it's a loud clap that attracts the attention. The worshiper would pop his hands, not to draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to the fact that somebody was giving God worship. Another way they worship was by the lifting up of hands, Psalm 63, 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. You see somebody lifting their hands to heaven. It's as if they're reaching up to God. They're giving God. Folk do it like this. Some folk do it like this. Some do it like this. Some do it like this. I don't care how you do it. When you lift up hands to God, it signals to everyone around you that you are giving God praise, but it's not about them. What it is, it is a sign of adoration and worship. It was symbolic of lifting up the hand of God and giving Him glory of reaching up to Him. Now, the next way they worship God, and this is going to be controversial because this is a Baptist church. I'll give it to you. Dancing. Always heard it said, a praying knee and a dancing foot don't grow on the same leg. You ever heard that? (laughs) But watch David. 2 Samuel 6, 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might. 
They're bringing the ark back. David is excited. And so, man, he's in the presence of God. He's overcome by the greatness and majesty and glory of God. And he got a case of happy feet. He danced all over the place without shame before those who were present. I'm not encouraging anybody to dance in church, all right? Don't get me wrong. I'm not much for church dancing. I think what we're talking about here is an outward expression of how we feel about God on the inside. When somebody praises God, don't get uptight about that. They're just letting out what's on the inside. When you see a hand go up, hallelujah, let it go. It's a good thing. And if somebody does get in the Spirit of God every now and then and they worship God with happy feet, just let it, just get out of their way before they run over you. I used to preach at a church up in Valdez years ago, and there was a little lady up there. Her name was Mrs. Bess. I don't know her first name. I always called her Granny Bess. That's what I called her. And Granny Bess, a little old lady, the man she loved, Jesus. She was very quiet. She was very meek. She was very calm. She didn't say a whole lot. She just stayed in her place, didn't do much. But every now and then, brother, the Holy Ghost would get in her feet, and that little lady would take off around that building dancing and shouting and praising God. And I'll tell you, it was real. It was, you, could, you could sense God all over that. And it was a blessing to see. And by the way, if God ever does that to you, just be sure it's real and go to it. If somebody don't like it, they don't have to come the next service. It'll be all right. It'll be fine. But you just go ahead and praise Him. It'll be okay. I think it honors God. I think it magnifies Him. And I think God is worthy of that. And we're too, I think, cautious about giving God praise a lot of times. I don't know what it is whether we are embarrassed by it I don't know if it's that we're afraid we'll offend somebody I don't know if we think it's out of order I don't know if we just feel like it's not what we're supposed to do personally I don't know that but I do know that when the will is moved by the spirit of God we ought to give God glory and our and I said that to say this our worship of God should be volitional what that means is it should come out of our will. It should be something we will to do. And when you read verse 5 there, the psalmist says the Lord is good. Is that not a reason to praise God? The Lord is good. Don't have time to go into all that tonight. He's good. His mercy is everlasting. If I dealt with me the way God has to deal with me, I doubt I would continue to be merciful. You know? Anybody else like that? It's just like you seem like you're always going to God. You're saying, Lord, messed up. Me again, I did, did it again. You know? And we're, we're always doing it, right? But what's God? He's a God of everlasting mercy. He loves us in spite of what we do. And that should move our will to worship Him. Then he says, His truth endureth to all generations. That is, the Word of God is steadfast, is sure. The promises of God are stable. All the Bible says about Him is true, and you can count on the Word. Those things together should move the will to magnify God and give Him praise and glory. However it is you do it, you ought to let God be glorified through you. You may wonder, what do you got to praise God for tonight? Well, you know, you could praise God for what He means to you. Does He mean anything to you? You, you could praise God for what He's done for you. You could praise God for His salvation. How about His grace and His love and His everlasting mercy? 
What about his word? What about his church? What about who he is? What about just because you love him? That's a reason enough. When you love somebody, you want to brag on them, don't you? You want to make much of them. You want to pay them attention. You want to give them what they've got coming due. And we would do well to learn from this psalm that our God is worthy of praise. A good example of what I'm talking about comes from the prayer of an old saint in a prayer meeting one evening. I want to read this to you. It's kind of lengthy, but pay attention. It won't take but a minute. He said, O Lord, listen to what he said. O Lord, we will praise Thee. We will praise Thee with an instrument of ten strings. People who heard him wonder what he was talking about, but he continued. Here's what he said. He said, we will praise thee with our two eyes by looking only unto thee. We will exalt thee with our two ears by listening only to thy voice. We will extol thee with our two hands by working in thy service. We will honor thee with our own two feet by walking in the way of thy statutes. We will magnify thee with our tongue by bearing witness to thy loving kindness. We will worship thee with our heart by loving only thee. Then he said, we thank thee for this instrument. Lord, keep it in tune. Play upon it as thou wilt and ring out the melodies of thy grace. May its harmonies always express thy glory. We stand here on the cusp of a brand new year. And this is our first worship service of 2019. Lord willing, there'll be about 152 more thereabouts, plus revival, whatever we have. There'll be a few more opportunities for you to praise God. And when we begin this year, we ought to think about who God is, who we are in Him, and all that He's done for us. And then we ought to fulfill the command that's given to us in verse 4. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. That's how we honor Him. By being thankful and by giving Him praise. That word bless there means to kneel before one in adoration. Come before Him, thank Him, adore Him, and then get up to serve Him and praise Him. And you talk about a different year. God will bless your life. And God will bless your walk if you do that. That's not just me saying that. I think the Word of God backs that up. A praising people is a happy people. That's right. So tonight, what I could do is come help me pray about all these objects. But also, I'd like for you to be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Find something to thank God for this evening and give Him some glory before we dismiss. Would you join me as we pray?